Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We're talking about the nature and limits of federalism. And Andrew Drapa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is January the 3rd, and on this day in 1959, President Eisenhower signed a special proclamation admitting the territory of Alaska into the Union as the 49th and largest state. Indigenous peoples inhabited the region that would become Alaska for centuries. The European discovery of Alaska came in 1741 when a Russian expedition led by Danish navigator Vitas Bering sighted the Alaskan mainland. Russian hunters would soon make incursions into Alaska, and the native Aleut population suffered greatly after being exposed to foreign diseases. In 1784, uh, Shiklikov established the first permanent Russian colony in Alaska on Kodiak Island. In the early 19th century, Russian settlements spread down the west coast of North America with the southernmost fort located near Bodega Bay in California. Russian activity in the New World declined in the 1820s, and the British and Americans were granting trade rights to Alaska after a few minor diplomatic conflicts. In the 1860s, a nearly bankrupt Russia decided to offer Alaska for sale to the United States, which earlier had expressed interest in such a purchase. On March the 30th, 1867, Secretary of State William Seward signed a treaty with the Russians for a purchase of Alaska for $7.2 million. Despite the bargain price at roughly two cents an acre, the Alaskan purchase was ridiculed in Congress and in the press as Seward's Folly, or Seward's Icebox, and President Johnson's Polar Bear Garden. Nevertheless, the Senate ratified the purchase of the tremendous landmass, one-fifth the size of the rest of the United States. Despite a slow start in settlement by Americans from the continental United States, the discovery of gold in 1898 brought a rapid influx of people into the territory. Alaska, rich in natural resources, has been contributing to American prosperity ever since. Great story of Alaska. Two cents an acre. Can you imagine? And that being ridiculed by members of Congress and the press. Well, stock had a rough start in 2024, though the Dow uh, ticked up slightly yesterday. The S&P 500 fell and the Nasdaq suffered its worst day since October as several big tech stops tumbled, tumbled during the first trading day of the year. Apple shares dropped almost 4% after Barclays downgraded the stock over lackluster iPhone sales in China. Right now, the market's looking tepid and a little bit weak right now. Dow futures down over 100, so we'll see what this starts what this means for the start of uh, the trading year in 2024. While critically important pro-growth feature of the Trump tax cuts on 2017 just phased down yesterday, January the 1st, 2024. It's a backdoor tax increase that Democrats are hoping no one will notice. 
It would affect American businesses, especially construction and manufacturing firms that make critical capital investments in our economy in the provision of the tax Trump plan that allows business to immediately write off the cost of their purchases of everything from equipment to machinery to delivery trucks to Boeing airplanes because of the arcane budget rules that 100% expensing provision gives gets phased out by 20% each year starting in 2023. This year, firms will only deduct 60% of their capital purchases, and then by 2026, they'll lose the incentive altogether. What's infuriating about this tax hike is that the Trump tax cut delivered huge dividends to the economy. The expensing provision, combined with other features of the plan, lowered tax rates, helped bring more than a trillion dollars of capital investment in factories back into the United States from abroad. It worked just as planned, but the Democrats in Congress and Biden are immune to the evidence, and they complain about jobs being exported overseas. This is plain stupidity on steroids and will hurt American workers and companies. Hopefully we can uh, renew the uh, Trump tax plan when he's back in office. One of the things that's so dangerous about Biden and the left is that they see the world as they want it to be, not as it is. They wish upon a store to ignore reality. Here's the reality about coal. China and India are going to use more of it and more of it, no matter what planet John Kerry is living on. China is building more than 50 new coal plants, and here's a pretty direct statement from the Indian Ministry of Coal. Now, can you imagine having a ministry of coal in India? In India, here's the quote, in India, the transition from coal or just transition is not happening in the foreseeable future, although India is pushing for renewable, non-fossil-based energy, but the share of coal in the uh, energy basket is going to remain significant in years ahead to ensure affordable energy availability, accessibility, and energy security to enable sustainable development of poverty uh, and eradication. That sounds like such a sens- uh, sensible point of view. We've not, uh, it, we've not demonstrated, in fact, that we can have alternative energy supporting the entire economy. Uh, so basically, India is saying, hey, we go along with a f- uh, alternative energy, but until uh, we're able to uh, develop enough to sustain us, we're going to uh, be using coal. That makes sense to me. Well, you've probably heard this, but Harvard's University President Claudine Gay has resigned, setting a new record for the shortest presidency in the university's history. Gay's unexpected resignation, which was reported by the Harvard Crimson, followed several months of controversy, including debates over the Israel-Hamas conflict, charges of anti-Semitism on campus, and a wave of plagiarism accusations. I think it was six months and two days was her term as president. Dr. Alan Garber, the university provost, will take over as interim president. Gay's been under intense scrutiny since standing by a letter signed by more than 30 Harvard students groups that uh, placed blame solely on Israel for the Hamas uh, terror attacks on October the 7th. Her troubles deepened with her controversial statements before Congress on the matter of anti-Semitism. In reply to a request by Representative Elise Stefanik of New York regarding a call from genocide against Jews, uh, uh, Gay replied that such calls would only violate Harvard's rules depending on context. Can you believe that? Well, despite multiple accusations of plagiarism, the university backed Gay and allowed her to remain in her position even after a billion dollars in donations were reportedly lost. Christopher Rufo and Chris Brunette, who are journalists, 
revealed that Gay had plagiarized part of her doctoral thesis and had been investigated by the university for, a, for that offense, which was subsequently covered up. When the Washington Post investigated the plagiarism claims against Gay, Harvard officials threatened legal action. Gay's former uh, colleague, Pro- Professor Carol Swain, who's just a terrific woman and a uh, very bright woman, professor herself, who worked at allegedly, uh, who works, uh, she allegedly plagiarized, uh, stated that Harvard lacked the courage to fire its first black president and accused the university of uh, giving Gay a free pass. By the way, uh, Carol Swain herself is black. Attending Gay's woes, uh, Adding to them, six new allegations of plagiarism surfaced on January the 1st, and she announced her imminent resignation from the presidency the following day. Moreover, the university president's reputation has been damaged by the presence of four doxing trucks outside her home, accusing her of being the best friend Hamas ever had. Harvard University now faces a daunting task to restoring its reputation, which has been tarnished by the events uh, leading to Gay's resignation. So makes me wonder if perhaps uh, the uh, bud is off the rose when it comes to Harvard University. Certainly has tarnished its image. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, more than 200 U.S. active and retired service members <clears throat> are vowing to hold senior military leaders in the Biden administration who broke the law accountable for establishing the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Now, this is, this sounds, I hope this gets some traction, because this is really, I think, necessary. The Pentagon made COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for service members in August of 2021, and 8,000 service members were discharged for not taking it. While implementing the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, military leaders broke the law, trampled on constitutional rights, denied informed consent, permitted unwilling medical experimentation, and suppressed the free exercise of religion. I read the letter from an uh, active duty service member and uh, veterans sent Monday to senior military leaders. A copy of the letter titled A Declaration of Accountability was posted, was posted on X by Brad Miller, who describes himself as a former, former Air Army officer. I sent it on behalf of myself and 230 other signatories of the letter, Miller wrote in his post. The letter is not addressed to the military leaders, but rather to the American people. The email was merely to inform the military leaders that there is a group of groups, troops, and vets pledging to the American public that they will do everything lawfully within our power to stop the willful destruction of our military by its own leadership. Uh, the uh, Pentagon rescinded the vaccine mandate in January the 1st of last year after Congress passed language in the National Defense Authorization Act for the 2023 fiscal year, the Defense Department's annual budget calling it for to an end and none of the service members who were discharged for not taking the vaccine have been reinstated. None. The military leaders uh, mentioned in the letter included uh, retired Army General Mark Milley, whose uh, term as chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff ended in September, but it also included many, many other folks as well, senior leaders. These individuals enabled lawlessness and unwilling experimentation on service members, the later stated. Uh, the moral and physical injuries that helped inflict are, inflict are significant. They betrayed the trust of the service members and the American people. Their actions caused irreparable harm to armed forces and the institutions for which we have fought and bled. 
the House Oversight Committee uh, Subcommittee on Co- uh, Coronavirus Pandemic held in J- July that found COVID-19 vaccine mandates reduced military readiness and potentially harmed America's national security by forcing the healthiest among us to receive the vaccine or face involuntary separation from service. I really appreciate what these folks are doing and bringing to light the harm that's been done by senior leader officials. And of course, I think Joe Biden should be among them. I'm not sure his name is mentioned in that, but uh, he is the commander in chief. Well, a passenger plane uh, hit a Japanese Coast Guard plane and burst into flames while landing in Tokyo's airport yesterday. All 367 passengers and 12 crew members were safely evacuated from the fiery Japanese airline plane, but five crew members died on the Coast Guard aircraft, which was scheduled to deliver supplies to the area affected by the recent uh, earthquake. Aviation accidents are rare, but the New York Times recently found that this type of collision, known as a runway incursion, is often only narrowly averted. The newspaper uh, reviewed FAA data that showed such near misses increased by almost 25% in the last decade, although since 2019, the rate has been improving. So that's very good news. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Oh, you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CallYourSeniorCenter.org. That's CallYourSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Call Your Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Uh, coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the chairman of the uh, chairman emeritus, I should say, of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Uh, tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So last week we started a discussion on the nature and limits of federalism. I'd like to continue the conversation, but before I do, uh, could we just define federalism? What is it and what's it all about? Yeah, a lot of people misinterpret federalism as being about states' rights. It's not about the right of states. It's about the right of individuals. So basically, federalism is the division of power between the federal government and the states. The purpose of dividing that power is checks and balances to safeguard individual liberty. That's what federalism is all about. Thank you, Bob. So what controls the relationship between the federal government on one hand and the state and local governments on the other? I think the most relevant constitutional provision is the Tenth Amendment. Uh, it tells us that the national government can exercise only the powers enumerated in the Constitution, like the power to coin money or declare war. And the, and the powers not delegated and enumerated are reserved to the states or depending on state law, they're reserved directly to the people. So conservatives and, and libertarians uh, generally agree on that pretty tightly constrained view of the federal government, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, a lot of conservatives, but not libertarians, are willing to federalize a significant amount of criminal law and civil law. And by that, I mean assign responsibility to the federal government, not the states. Mm. And if you want an example in the criminal law area, uh, consider our our feckless drug war for which there's no constitutional authority. Uh, the text of the Constitution, you know, mentions just a few crimes at the federal level, counterfeiting, treason, piracy. Mm. And yet a lot of conservatives have convinced themselves that because they think drugs are harmful, that that justifies ignoring uh, the founding document. That is so interesting, Bob. So, uh, how has the uh, federal government tried to extend its role and to include uh, state and civil law? Um, let me mention also, uh, I, I will answer that in just a second. Uh, let me mention about an example in the, uh, in the civil law area uh -huh. of, of uh, federal overreach. 
it, it, tort reform is the perfect example. It's necessary, it's desirable, but the threshold question, where in the Constitution is it authorized for the feds to do this instead of the states? States. So one you know, possible source is the all-encompassing commerce clause, which is the power to regulate interstate commerce. The country grew. A lot of people believed that we had a lot of problems and it required national regulatory solutions. So Congress earmarked this, uh, this specific power to justify mm. the ambitious federal agenda, and the Commerce Clause was the vehicle of choice. But the, the central reason the Commerce Clause appeared in the Constitution was <clears throat> that under the Articles of Confederation, the national government lacked the power to regulate interstate sales, and each, each state was free to impose tariffs and, co- and quotas on goods coming across state lines. The Commerce Clause was included in the Constitution so the feds could ensure that the trade would be would be uh, free. And mm-hmm. that's, what, <clears throat> that's what the Commerce Clause was for, but it's not what tort reform was all about. So you had outlandish jury verdicts, um, you know, probably in more than one state across the country, but not every national problem is a federal problem. The state legislatures, the courts, the voters, they're not powerless. There have been three dozen states that have passed damage caps. All 50 states have passed or are considering various tort reform proposals. And nowhere in the Constitution is there a federal power uh, to control lawsuits by in-state patients against in-state doctors for in-state uh, malpractice. Mm-hmm. So some of the damage awards may be shocking, but they're not commerce and they're not interstate, and they're a perfect example of the excesses of federal overreach. Now, as as far as the federal government extending its role to include state civil law, uh, Congress has considered legislation to cap these malpractice awards and to limit attorney's fees about a dozen times. Mm-hmm. And the hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle is th- thick enough to slice. You know, the Republicans are supposed to favor federalism, but Bush um, called malpractice, quote, a national problem that requires a national solution. And then he said any time a malpractice lawsuit drives up the cost of health care, it affects taxpayers, and therefore it's a federal issue. Mm. So, you know, never mind the conservatives are supposed to be champions of limited and enumerated uh, federal powers. The, the, the Democrats were just as bad, but in reverse. They they usually love federal regulation, but not when it might offend uh, the tort the lawyers. Uh, advocates of federalism, we have a different principle. No matter how worthwhile the goal, no matter how sure Congress is that it's identified a big problem and knows how to fix it, if there's no enumerated federal power, the feds have to step aside leave the matter up to the states or private parties. And, you know, it's not just tort reform. Today, the federal government has immersed itself in everything from our public schools to hurricane relief to retirement systems, welfare, family planning, housing, even aid to the arts. I mean, none of which can be found among Congress's enumerated powers. See if you can find anything in the Constitution that that would authorize federal government paying aid to the arts. 
<laughs> and putting Nancy Pelosi on the board, and et cetera, et cetera. It's just unbelievable. Indeed, yes. <laughs> so did the Civil War give the federal government a new set of powers? It did. Uh, until 1868, the Bill of Rights didn't apply to state governments. So, for example, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law impairing free speech. It doesn't say anything about states making such laws. But we discovered over 80 years or so that the, the states can be every bit as tyrannical as the feds, in the obvious case being slavery and segregation. So, you know, we had a civil war, mm-hmm. and we ratified three post-war civil amend- uh, constitutional amendments, most important being the 14th, and which prevents the states from violating due process, equal protection, privilege, or immunities of citizenship. So the 14th Amendment was used to apply the technical term as incorporate the Bill of Rights to the states. So essentially, the 14th Amendment gave the feds a brand new power over and above the powers enumerated in the Constitution and referenced uh, by the 10th Amendment. After the ratification of the 14th Amendment in 1868, if a state were to violate a right guaranteed under the federal Constitution. The feds, not only Congress, but also the executive and judicial branches, would be authorized to intervene. But the important point to note is that the 14th Amendment requires that the state violate your rights. The amendment is invoked against state and local governments. It is not invoked against private parties. That is so interesting. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I hope you visit the website, cato.org. Bob, I want to pick up this conversation next week. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, I'm going to be visiting uh, with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. 
Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratuscale Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. I hope you'll vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We typically start our conversations with good news. Do you have some good news for us? Well, I have some good news. I indicated off air that I didn't have a quote, but I think I am going to go with one from another part of my uh, my information today. This is a quotation from Alexander Hamilton uh, pertaining to immigration when he said, essentially, on the energy of a common national sentiment, on a uniformity of principles and habits, on the exemption of the citizens from foreign bias and prejudice, and on that love of country will almost always inf- invariably be found to be closely associated with birth, education, and family. Uh, now, I'm going to go into that perhaps uh, later in, in greater depth, the founders' uh, views on immigration. But I thought I'd just start out with that in case I didn't get to it. Uh, Hamilton was obviously saying that it's a critical component that we maintain some degree of, of unity, some degree of uniformity in terms of our values, in terms of our, of our views of freedom and uh, the views on government. Uh, and this was echoed by almost the entire grouping of people that we can uh, collectively call our founding fathers. That that is so interesting and so important, especially when we're observing what's happening on our border right now, Andy. So thanks for sharing that. How about good news? Well, this is a good news story. It's not uh, specific for America, but I think it's worth mentioning. There was a significant plane crash in in the Japanese uh, major airport. Uh, a major airliner with 379 people on board collided with a, uh, a Japanese Coast Guard plane. All, uh, I think five of the six on the Coast Guard plane were unfortunately killed, but all, all survived uh, on, the, on, the, on the passenger airliner. Now, I'm a, a devotee, let's call it, of the air disaster show, so I, I have a familiarity with this. Uh, primarily what we're looking at here, Bob, is a scientific change in the interior of planes, which is the materials used are not uh, ones that, uh, that burst into flame or produce noxious gases. Uh, we're also looking at a cultural phenomenon in which the, the Japanese have thoroughly prepared for this, and there was absolutely no panic within the Japanese citizenry on board. Uh, so this is being described as a miracle. I think we're looking at something that is uh, improbable in terms of that level of survival, but I think we can understand it in terms of science and their designs of the planes and also the cultural aspect of, uh, of the Japanese. 
Such an interesting observation. Although uh, near misses are up about 25% in the last five years or so. So it's. That, that's a frightening thing, particularly with the, uh, the number of people that have been discharged uh, uh, as air traffic controllers in America because of their failure to get their, their COVID injections. Uh, this is one of the most uh, demanding jobs in the country. Yeah. Uh, the stress of that job is, in, is incredible. And if one mistake can create incredible disasters, as we've, as we've seen all too many times. So uh, I think this is a problem we have to be uh, aware of. Uh, I'm not suggesting people should stop flying, but I think there has to be a, a growing awareness of the problems that may exist in terms of air traffic controllers, Bob. I think it's evident in the news that we see almost every day, so thank you for that, Andy. Any other good news? Uh, let me see now. Yeah, there is a good news in terms of the uh, the Trump situation. Uh, in the first place, the uh, Letitia James uh, and her office uh, offered testimony from a, a, an expert witness, whatever that means, uh, that uh, Trump's fraud cost uh, Deutsche Bank $168 million in interest. Uh, that sounds serious and significant. Of course, when the Deutsche Bank executive took the stand, they testified that they wanted to work with the Trump organization, that the bank did its due, Ill, uh, due diligence, and they found absolutely no fraud in terms of Trump's operation. So I think it's a good news story once we start to get the reality of these situations exposed and uh, have people like uh, Letitia James uh, herself exposed as the, I believe she is, the, the fraud she is Bob. She is indeed. By the way, uh, your column that you wrote about the NFL and the justice system here in the United States, I in fact I actually posted on my website this morning. I just encourage our listeners to go to bobharden.com and just check out, correct me if I'm wrong, to see Andy's latest column on it. It's very interesting. Well, as long as you gave me that opening, let me just say a few words about that column and uh, just for your uh, for your uh, listening audience, uh, essentially there was a recent uh, football contest between the Cowboys and the Lions that was decided by a horrible, horrible referee call, uh, and it stood, even though everyone acknowledged that it was the wrong call. Now, the point I extend from that is in terms of our government and its justice system, that once a final verdict is reached, uh, then it becomes almost impossible uh, to have it reversed or even have it challenged. I, I highlighted the 2020 elections were in that category. I think uh, certainly a significant portion of the American people understood that there was, this was a, a fraudulent election. The Supreme Court refused to take it on. Uh, many state governments refused to take it on uh, for the same reason, that once that gavel uh, it drops, it's, it's over. And I pointed out the same phenomenon may exist as Trump goes forward with the uh, continuing accusations uh, coming from, from Jack Smith. There seems to be some, some new direction taken by this, uh, this political thug every single day. So uh, that is my concern with the, with the Trump situation, that, uh, that once that happens, it, it's not going to be reversible not even challengeable. I hope the Supreme Court uh, takes up some of these things, the, uh, particularly the, uh, the use of the 14th Amendment as a way of getting Trump off the ballot. Uh, I hope if they don't take it up, I, have, I, I can't even understand the implications as, mm -hmm. as we enter the, the election <clears throat> period of uh, 2024. Uh, so I, I presume the Supreme Court will take the, this situation up. But if they don't, I, 
it's a serious, serious threat to this country's well-being, Bob. It is indeed, Andy. And by the way, I, I haven't verified this. I haven't seen it writing yet. But I understand that the, the legal team, Trump's legal team, has put together a footnoted, complete uh, and thorough uh, document white paper, let's call it, uh, that uh, uses uh, actually federal information, state information uh, to, to demonstrate that the election was stolen in 2020. Now, I think that can be used in the January 6th case and uh, perhaps other cases that Trump is facing right now. I, I think it's high time that that was developed. Well, I, I think that is appropriate. I think it certainly is one that would, uh, I, I haven't seen that, but it would validate what, uh, what I've been made aware of over the last several months. Uh, so, yeah, I think we have to start moving in those directions. I, uh, if Trump doesn't do it, I'm afraid he's not going to get much support from the Republican Party in general. Yeah. Uh, so, again, Trump typically, as, as always, is, uh, is a one-man wrecking crew in these areas. That, so he's got to do it. Yeah. Uh, I hope he succeeds. Uh, let, let me point out something in keeping with that that is a point of annoyance. And this is something that takes place even with, uh, with friendly commentators, for example, on, on Fox. Uh, they say things like Trump has not been convicted of insurrection. Well, this suggests that Trump has even been accused of insurrection. Yeah. He hasn't even been accused of insurrection. It's not part of any uh, of any legal process of any indictment. It's not even been been brought to the uh, to the uh, to the point of of, of of accusation by Jack Smith. And yet they say he has not been convicted. Well, of course he hasn't been convicted, Bob. He hasn't even been accused of that crime. That's exactly right. In fact, I read in a poll this morning that a third of the American people, including Democrats and Republicans and independents, uh, believe that Trump, the, the election was stolen in 2020. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I think the numbers are growing. I, I think that, uh, but, but unfortunately, Bob, it's, as I highlighted before, it, uh, it's, the challenge, even when Texas launched a, a, a challenge in 2020 uh, based on the, uh, the requirement that, that state legislatures be the, uh, the authoring agent of, of, of state uh, election rules, uh, the Supreme Court refused to take that up. Now, that, that concerns me. Yeah. It concerned me then, and it, it, again, it concerns me as it pertains to the, to the 14th Amendment. As long as we're there, Bob, let me, let me just mention something that will have no significance going forward, but it's an interesting uh, subset. There is a whole discussion that I've been reading over many years about the 14th Amendment uh, that, in fact, it was never legally validated as an amendment. Uh, in what sense wasn't it validated? It was never, in fact, voted on or approved by two-thirds of the House or the Senate, and it was never ratified by three-quarters of the states. That's uh, now, so fascinating. It was an unusual, confusing period of time and as it pertains to the Confederate states at that point in time. Nevertheless, the states that were legally recognized, two-thirds of them, did not uh, support that, that amendment uh, and in terms of the states ratifying, no, three-quarters of the states did not ratify the 14th Amendment. It's not going to mean anything, Bob, uh, going forward. It's just an interesting subset of that whole story. It is indeed, Andy. We're going to take a little break. Uh, can you stick around? I'll be here. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. Now building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center. It's going to be opened in 2024. You can find out more and get some tickets to some great upcoming performances by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. Andy, I interrupted you, uh, interrupted our conversation with a, a, a commercial break. Any more good news? A couple of uh, good news stories. One is only a good news story from my perspective, but let me start out with something that I think is is of some significance. A recent study, shockingly enough, uh, has shown that uh, the study shows that sex could be a better predictor of sports performance than gender identity. I mean, that's just a shocking discovery. <laughs> but again, it's an important discovery as it pertains uh, to trans men in, involved with women's sports. Uh, so this kind of scientific validation of the obvious, uh, un- unfortunately, is necessary, but it- it's there. So I think this may uh, contribute to a, uh, a, a better future for women's sports, hopefully. <laughs> uh, one that I find is per- personally significant as a fallen Catholic, but many Catholic churches in America are returning to the Latin Mass. And I think that, as a fallen Catholic, that's important. Why, Bob? Because... Uh, the Latin Mass is the, the Mass that essentially is the same Mass 
that has been said for almost 2,000 years yeah. around the world at the same time. It's the same language. And I think that unifying, unifying force of the Catholic Church ha has always been significant. Now, if we get to it later, I have some other comments about the Catholic Church that it will not be uh, positive, uh, but I'm not condemning the Catholic Church in its entirety, just uh, certain components. But uh, I'll get to that later. But in terms of returning to the Latin Mass, I think that's a good thing in terms of Catholic unity, Bob. That's so interesting, Andy. Well, thank you for that. So uh, back to the uh, 14th Amendment. Any other comments on the 14th Amendment? Um, uh, not right now. It's just that, again, I, I'd like to emphasize that uh, there's a general presumption that the Supreme Court will take up the uh, the Colorado situation, which is now in abeyance, actually, and the main situation, but there are, from what I understand, 10 other states right. that have this action uh, currently within their legislatures. Uh, so again, this could become a significant uh, part of the election process going forward. And just to repeat myself, but I think it's important, uh, I cannot imagine what would happen if there were 13 states in the November election that did not have Donald Trump on the ballot. That's so so interesting. By the way, just clarifying comment, we, we had a conversation off air that the 14th Amendment was not necessarily uh, constitutional because it wasn't approved by uh, three-quarters of the states, which is required in the Constitution to amend the Constitution. But well, yeah, it's something that's been recognized over over the years, over the, perhaps for the last century. Uh, but again, uh, it's one of those things that also falls into the category. Once the uh, once the gavel is dropped, it's it's a done deal. Yeah. So even though there's a fairly clear recognition of the fact that it was approved unconstitutionally, it has been approved in the sense of the gavel falling. So that's where we are right now. A uh, an unconstitutional amendment is being used unconstitutionally uh, to try to uh, determine the outcome of the 2024 elections, Bob. That's so interesting. I, I want to get your thoughts, uh, changing the topic, uh, of, of Gay's resignation from Harvard as president of the university. What are your thoughts? Well, I think in itself, obviously, it's, it's a good thing. If there's one thing that can be said to unify the universities, colleges, and even the, the secondary schools of America, you, you have one thing, and that's that plagiarism is not allowed in the world of, of, of academia. Uh, that's the, the one thing that I can say all schools adhere to. And yet with Claudine Gay, there is a, uh, a, a tsunami of proven areas of, of plagiarism. Uh, now, as she stepped down, she did not even address the area uh, that was the major source of, uh, of her reason for stepping down. Uh, that was, of course, coupled with her failure to condemn the uh, the violent anti-Semitism that was right. taking place on on Harvard campus. Uh, but again, she was uh, removed uh, for non-specific reasons by the uh, by the Board of Governors of Harvard. Now, I think the the negative side of that story is is the fact that she will stay on the, as faculty at the at Harvard uh, beyond her presidency. Now, it's, it's, it's absurd. It is certainly a serious allegation against the president of Harvard, but it's an equally serious allegation sure. against the faculty member at Harvard. Absolutely. So for her to stay on is giving her a, a vote of confidence when she has, a, for all measurements, uh, illegally obtained her, her major academic credentials. So I think that's, that's a serious downside of the story that uh, perhaps has not been focused on enough. There's an interesting quote that came out of CNN as it pertained to 
the, the Claudine Gay situation. This is from Matt Egan. Uh, he was attempting to explain uh, the, the Claudine Gay plagiarism, and he said that Gay wasn't accused, let's listen to these words about, Gay wasn't accused of stealing anyone's ideas. She just copied other people's work and passed them off as her own without attribution. And I'm, I'm looking at that. And I'm saying that that is the classic definition of plagiarism. Yeah, of course so, it is. <laughs> uh, amazingly, he tries to position it in some strange CNN type of, of positioning, uh, and yet he is actually defining uh, the essential charge being made against gay. No question. In fact, I, I have to point out that, of course, uh, it, during her resignation, she dropped, dropped the race card. She definitely said it's because of because of racism that this is occurring. And it's just a, a preposterous and uh, just a shame that she had to do that. I think part of her resignation was uh, her letter was pretty darn good. But uh, Carol Swain, of course, is one of my heroes. She just is a great person. And uh, they were associates before, and she actually plagiarized Carol Swain's work in order to do her Ph.D. thesis. So it's such an interesting story. Swain pointed out something that is is well identified in academia, and that's that uh, the value of a, a published work is often considered on the basis of subsequent citations using that work. Yeah. Uh, so by <clears throat> by Gay denying her that citation, it also damaged Swain in terms of the uh, weight and the significance of Swain's prior work. So uh, it's not just a matter of, uh, of, of failing to put quotations around something or uh, parents, however you handle it. Uh, it's a matter of actually damaging the original author by uh, failing to give weight to their original work, Bob. So true, Andy. Andy, we need to take a break. Can you stick around? Again? <laughs> yes. Okay. 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 I'll wait. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare elected officials to serve successfully in office. I proudly serve on their board. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with... Uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. This is my favorite place to be, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So I understand you just saw Sound of Freedom. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. It came out over the summer, and uh, I, I haven't been going to the movies, and I'm not going to go to the movies, so I was waiting for it to come out on streaming. And uh, to uh, Amazon Prime's uh, credit, uh, they put it on uh, on Prime Video without uh, any additional charge. Uh, so I think that's a, a positive statement. I know that uh, Prime and Amazon take a lot of heat for uh, some of their awake type of ep- awoken uh, type of episodes, but uh, this is one where they put Sound of Freedom up there with no additional charge. Now, for those in the audience that uh, know nothing of The Sound of Freedom, The Sound of Freedom is uh, a movie about uh, a child sex trafficking. Uh, it's built around the, uh, the actions of, uh, uh, generally around the actions of a uh, Homeland Security uh, agent, Tim Ballard, uh, and his activities in terms of trying to penetrate these incredibly large uh, uh, sex trafficking um, uh, areas. Uh, I I personally, Bob, was, was amazed at what the movie suggested about the size of these operations, uh, the funding. Uh, I, I don't know if it's factually correct. I presume they would not have it if it wasn't. But now ch- child sex trafficking worldwide is a larger dollar-making industry than the entire drug industry, the right. illegal drug industry. Now, that is an incredible number we're talking about, a huge, uh, a huge circumstance. Now, as I uh, sort of surveyed the response to the movie, uh, came to Rotten Tomatoes, which you know I guess many people do to see how the uh, the critics and the audience respond. Uh, the critics gave it a 57, uh, and a and the audience almost a universal 99% found it favorable. Now, when I read the critics' ratings, uh, almost all of them said that the content was excellent, so that what they were critical about was only the movie itself as an art form, Mm -hmm. the structure of the movie, the dialogue, and so forth. But almost universally, even the most harshest of critics supported the essential content of this movie. Uh, I think it's a movie that, that should be seen. Uh, again, as I, as I said, I, I am amazed at the size of this industry, the number of children uh, and children's lives and, the, and their parents' lives, of course, that have been deeply affected, perhaps permanently affected, uh, by these children being kidnapped or, or, or sold into essentially what is sexual slavery. Uh, and this, this happens at, the, uh, at some of the most obscene young ages, two, three years of age, Bob. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is an industry that is 
uh, is, is dramatic in its size and I think dramatic in its potential impact. Uh, I'm going to suggest that it's in keeping with the, uh, what I see in, in, in often, often in many situations, the sexualization of children and the, the allowance for the sexualization of children, but particularly in America. The movie makes the point that the vast majority of the, uh, the uh, issues surrounding uh, child sex trafficking take place in the United States. Right. So we're not some innocent bystander just, just doing our legal job. We are, in fact, the major market for the sex traffickers, Bob. Absolutely. I'm so happy you've seen the movie. We saw it when it first came out. And what's appalling right now is we have sex trafficking occurring and created right on our border. You know, I think there's some number like 137,000 unattended children came across the border. And, uh, you know, they don't even expect where these kids end up. And uh, yeah, I'm quite certain that you have uh, people who are uh, sex trafficking and, uh, you know, and the, the quote is, the thing is about a child uh, who's being used for sex trafficking, you don't sell that child once, you sell them over and over and over again. That, that's the point they do make in the movie as you're, as you're hi highlighting, and that's why you'd say <clears throat> a better market for these people, if we can use that type of business term, yeah. uh, than drugs. Drugs, once you sell them, they're gone, you need more drugs. When you have a child in this industry, uh, that child can make a, a human contact uh, I hate to use the word human to describe these men that to, that do this type of thing. I know, uh, but you know, ten times a day. Uh, so we're looking, and by the way, in some of the the follow up studies done by uh, the medical profession, in terms of the uh, extended impact on these children, even if they escape uh, from this uh, sex trafficking world, their lives, their psychology, their whole. Uh, view of, of life and human beings is totally altered, almost universally, for every child that's gone through this horrible. Absolutely, Andy. I'm so happy you brought this up. It is an absolutely must-see for our listeners. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, to get, to get a copy of The Sound of Freedom. Of course, Sound of Freedom is uh, the sound that children hear after they've been freed from the shackles of sex trafficking. So, uh, yeah, you know... In, 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 most of the, the negative commentary coming from the leftist media has very little to do with the movie, its design, or the content. What they complain about for some reason, which has nothing to do with the movie itself, is that it's being supported by what the left-wing media says are far right-wing sources. And they, they cite QAnon. Now, I don't even know what QAnon is, Bob, <laughs> at this point. But they're rejecting the movie and attacking the movie because of those groups that uh, some of the groups that support the movie or, or recommend the movie. So uh, as absurd as that is, when you're talking about a critical issue like that and suggesting your audience shouldn't see it because of who else supports it, uh, if that isn't a depth, almost a definition of how the left are, operates, Bob, I, I don't know what is. Yeah, so uh, again, just to highlight, I think you said it was on Amazon Prime. Yes. And uh, I just encourage our listeners now, uh, according to Andy, you can see it for free. So uh, put it on your schedule, put it on your agenda, see The Sound of Freedom. It's absolutely... Well, I, I would highlight that you start off by paying for Prime in, in general. But once you have that, that universal ticket to, uh, to access everything on Prime, uh, the movie is not uh, put up at a premium price beyond that, which happens in many other situations on Prime. So this is a, a, a free ride in terms, of, uh, in terms of the sound of freedom, and I think that's a, a positive thing about Jeff Bezos. Uh, and every once in a while you have to say something good about people that you generally don't like. <laughs> 
<laughs> well said, Andy. So again, as usual, we have so many more things to talk about. Well, we don't have the time to do it. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I hope you check out the book. It's not on topic for this discussion, but nevertheless, a fantastic read. Uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob, and I'll see you next week. I look forward to you. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon who replaced both of my knees in 2006. Uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us. And Keith Flaw, the co-founder and CEO of the Florida Citizens Alliance, will be with us as well. I uh, really appreciate your listening to the show. And if you enjoy it, I hope you pass the word on to your friends and neighbors. That's one of the ways that uh, we support our advertisers and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>